This episode was partially recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Willem and Boonarong peoples of the Kulin Nation. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome to this special episode of the podcast. So in this episode, we are joined by certified sleep specialist, Brittany, from Resting in Motherhood. She's living in Colorado in the US and her outlook on baby sleep and her Instagram page has resonated with me for some time. So I'm so excited to have her on. I hope that you really enjoy the episode. Her own motherhood journey has influenced her decision to become a sleep specialist and she has a daughter who's now four. Uh, As I say with every expert, as a guest, please do seek your own individual professional guidance for your own needs and sleep, everything related to it. There are many outlooks on sleep as well, so I do want to acknowledge and preface that whatever works for you and your family is great. Uh, We're not saying that any way is better than another. This is just an alternate view to some of the common outlooks that come up on infant sleep. Brittany talks about her thoughts on regressions and how she rather likes to reframe them as sleep progressions, whether we can create bad habits with infant sleep, routines versus schedules, and whether we can teach our babies to sleep. We also answer some interesting listener questions as well. One in particular that resonated with me was how we can respond when someone asks if our baby is a quote-unquote good or bad sleeper, which is a question I received so much when Hazel was younger and always made me feel a little bit ick. So I hope you love the episode and I'll hand over to the brilliant Brittany now. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And you're joining us from across the world. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and where you're living? Yes. So I am talking to you from Boulder, Colorado. Uh, My name is Brittany. I'm a certified infant sleep specialist and the owner of Resting in Motherhood. And I educate families on biologically normal infant sleep while also still helping them make changes to the things that aren't working without any form of sleep training. So all in a responsive and attachment-based way. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. I love your Instagram page. Followed you on there for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Um, what, What kind of inspired you to start that, that, uh, Instagram and your, job as a certified infant sleep specialist? My daughter, (laughs) who is, um, she'll be four in August. And it's Mm -hmm. so funny because I had all of these ideas of what sleep was supposed to look like before she came. I even planned on uh, like traditional, well, not traditionally sleep training. I was never going to do cry it out, but I planned on doing like eat, play, sleep. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's baby wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my beautiful, highly sensitive and very spirited daughter came into the world mm-hmm. and I quickly learned, oh, all of the expectations I had are completely mismatched with what's happening 
in reality. (laughs) Um, And so it caused a lot of anxiety just about, I felt like I was failing. I felt like maybe something was wrong with her. And so I, there was just this big mismatch in what was happening and what my expectations were. And so I suffered from uh, postpartum anxiety and I was just really struggling with sleep until finally at like the four month mark, I was like, okay, I can't keep going on like this. And I kind of dove deep into the world of safe bed sharing, biologically normal infant sleep, and kind of started my journey and feeling confident in the choices that I was making around sleep and responding to my baby's needs. And then as she grew, I kind of realized like, wow, I'm actually very passionate about this. And I want to reach more moms in the Mm. first few months and help them realize like, no, you're not failing. No, nothing's wrong with your baby. And just help them know that there is an alternative to sleep training if it doesn't feel right to you and it's not something that you want to do. And then my business was born and here we are almost three years later. Yeah. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. And I love, love all the things that you say, because I feel like in early motherhood, I was, I felt so lost on so many things, but especially sleep, I would research online, do the old Dr. Google, (laughs) you know, and, and most of them would just, there'd be all these like shoulds about how my daughter should be sleeping or, um, you know, how many feeds she should be having overnight and all these things. And it was just always, I always kind of left feeling so like, what am I doing wrong? Am I failing? And that thought of failing is just so damaging to new parents when there's already so much pressure on you at that time. So yeah, thank you so much for what you do. Thank you. Yes. I love it. It's, I feel thankful Mm. every day that I get to do what I do. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. And can you um, tell us about what your thoughts are on sleep regressions? Yes. So I don't like to call them sleep regressions. I call them progressions. (laughs) And the reason for that is that while sleep may kind of take a hit and baby might be waking more, they might be fighting sleep more. It's actually all of their development that's progressing and progressing them forward that's impacting sleep. So I often find that just like changing that mindset of like, okay, yes, sleep is really hard, but what new skills am I noticing in my baby today? Um, What's happening? Are they teething? And when we can kind of reframe it to, well, they're growing and they're developing. And yes, it's really hard that sleep is taking a hit, but these are really positive things that are happening in their life. And I find that just that mindset shift can help it help us feel better as we're going through those really rough times of sleep. Mm, Yes, definitely. I think I I remember a a new mum friend I'd made like when my daughter was about eight months old or something. I think I was complaining about her sleep, and I was like, "Oh, maybe it's a sleep progression. I don't know." And she was like, "Try and try and think about it as." you know, she'll probably learn a whole new trick in the next few days or she'll be saying words or, you know, however old she was at the time. But yeah, and it was like, oh yeah, it's so interesting to think about it like that because how exciting that this little bit of, you know, disrupted sleep or whatever you'd like to call it is, you know, there's going to be a a great new thing that the baby's doing after that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think, and it's really fun when they start talking and Mm -hmm. you have a really hard night 
And then the morning after like a new word comes out or like six mm-hmm. new words come out and you're like, mm-hmm. whoa, like oh my God. that is literally yeah. what that your brain is working it. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Yes. I love that. And yeah, progressions is just so much more of a, you know, comfortable word than regressions. I think there's so much language that's used around motherhood and even things like birth that can make people feel so, just so low and like they have failed. So I love thinking about it as progressions. That's amazing. Totally. Yeah. And there's so many mindset shifts we can make, right? Mm -hmm. Like just a a quick Mm -hmm. change of mindset or a Mm -hmm. word and we can feel better about it and anything in motherhood, like you said, with birth, with anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. And I'd love to dive in to what you think about creating bad habits with infant sleep as well. Yes. Yeah, so it's actually funny. I just wrote a newsletter topic on that. It was exactly on that. Okay, wow. I wrote that today. So it's fresh on my mind. Um, but what I'll say is I don't think that bad habits exist when it comes to um, providing comfort, when it comes to responding to a baby's needs. And I also would like to say that Nobody can tell us what a bad bad habit is in our home. Nobody can tell us what's working in our home. I think we think we hear of these like, oh, you're creating a bad habit by rocking your baby to sleep. But my question there would be, are you enjoying rocking your baby to sleep? And if the answer is yes, well, then how is that a bad habit in your home? And then someone might say, well, it works for me now, but what if it doesn't work for me I don't know, in six months or four months when my baby's heavier. And my answer would still be, well, it wasn't, it's still not a bad habit. It was a pattern and a routine that was serving you in that moment. And then when you get to a place where it no longer is serving you or working for you, then it's a pattern to shift. I mean, we're humans, we're constantly changing and shifting patterns in our lives. And so instead of seeing something that's providing comfort for our child as a bad habit, Really, we should be seeing it as a pattern that's serving us. And then, like I said, when it no longer serves our family, it's just a pattern mm-hmm. to be shifted. And that can be said for yeah. nursing to sleep. It can be said for contact naps, bed sharing, whatever the case may be. I think we really need to, just like we were talking about with like a mindset shift, it's not a bad habit. Um, and even when it is no longer working, it's still not something bad because it served you for however long it did serve you for. Yes, definitely. I love that. And yeah, you know, if, if it is working for you, that is great. And it's so easy to feed into the noise that's around you or what other people are doing. It, I completely understand it. I was absolutely so like that <laughs> in the <laughs> early days. But with our second baby that's coming along later this year, I feel like I'll just be so much more relaxed around everything with sleep because I know that you know I I've loved doing those things like I've loved rocking to sleep it's worked for us I love feeding to sleep um and yeah so that's worked for us and that's great and you know it's completely fine if for some people they do want to do something a little bit more um, involved and they want to settle in the cot and that works for them that's completely fine as well Totally. And I think that's what it comes down to is like, is it working for you? It doesn't matter if your best friend's not doing it. It doesn't matter if your Mm -hmm. mom didn't do it. It doesn't matter if your sister didn't do it. 
is it working for you? If the answer is yes, then continue doing whatever is working for you. And um, for some babies, like you might have the intent of, oh, yes, I want them to fall asleep independently in the crib. And then you try it and baby's like, no, I'm not having any part of this. And so then you might have like (laughs) take a step back and say, okay, well, this isn't working for us, but what is? And so that's, that's where we're constantly like, okay, this pattern's working. This one's not, what can we do? Exactly. Love that. Yeah. And what is your thoughts on um, routines versus schedules? So routines are important. Mm -hmm. Routines are all human brains function better when we have routine and we know what's coming next because we feel safe knowing that we know what's coming, right? Instead of the unknown. So routines are very important, especially for babies. But I also want to just add there, like with a little asterisk that We don't, I don't want you to like sit at home every single day because you have to follow the exact same routine. Like I want you to get out into the world, enjoy your life, all of that. But we can have routines like when it comes to like a a nap time routine, our bedtime routine, where we can do the same activities in a row to signal to our baby's brain that sleep is coming. So it might be as simple as like, Um, turning off the lights together, closing the curtains, maybe you do a little naptime song or read a book, whatever that might be, then maybe it's putting on a sleep sack if they sleep in a sleep sack, simple things like that, that start telling baby's brain, okay, I know what's coming. That is much different than a schedule in which we are deciding when all of this is going to happen. Because the other part of routines is, we can tune into our baby and kind of get to know their their natural rhythms in terms of what are their unique wake windows, which I will say, spoiler alert, the internet probably mm-hmm. does not know your baby's unique wake windows. You're going to have to figure that out on your own by tuning mm-hmm. into them. Um, but that's the difference. So a routine, we would allow babies' natural sleep rhythms to guide us. Now, we won't know the exact time that nap's going to happen until really that morning when they wake up and then we start seeing those sleepy cues and we can offer the nap. But then we have that routine in place of what are we doing leading up to nap? We might even have a morning routine of, okay, wake up, uh, baby does some tummy time while you get coffee, breakfast, then maybe you sit on the floor with baby. And again, this will change and evolve as they grow, but then you kind of have a rhythm. Then maybe you get some outside time after that, play time in the morning, and then it might be nap time already. And so you follow this general flow to your day, but it's not um, constricted to specific times because when we start trying to fit babies into a sleep schedule, that are you, these sleep schedules are usually found on the internet um, and the internet does not know our baby we often end up with either an undertired baby. So we're sitting in a dark room trying to force them to sleep and the nap isn't happening. And then we're spending our whole day in this dark room trying to make the nap happen. Or we end up with an overtired baby because we've stretched them longer than they may have needed. And then we deal, we have a whole nother set of problems. So I think if we can let go of this idea of a schedule and instead, like I said, follow the routines and the rhythms, we're going to be more at peace and we're also going to be more in tune with what our baby's natural sleep patterns are. Yeah. And I'm really keen to know if you think that we can teach our babies to sleep. Is sleep a learned skill? 
or is it something different? What's your opinion? Sleep is not a skill. It is a biological function, meaning it's something that we are born knowing how to do just like eating and eliminating. And if you think about it, we know babies sleep in the womb. So if they're sleeping in the womb, it's not something that they've been taught because they have not come earthside yet. And so when we hear that sleep is a skill, then we feel like it's something that we need to teach. But like, we don't learn how to, yeah, we might, because some I've had people tell me, well, I needed help breastfeeding, like I needed to meet with a lactation consultant, or we end up potty training our children, but the actual biological function is still there, right? Like we don't need to teach a newborn baby how to go pee or go poop. They just know how to do it. Same thing with eating. That suckling is there. They might need a little bit of external help, like with latch or something like that, but that's just loving guidance. It's not something that we're teaching them because it's something that they're biologically driven to do. And that's the same thing with sleep. And if we think about it, sleep training in the history of time is very, very new compared to how long humans have been around. And if sleep was a skill that needed to be taught, we wouldn't, humans would not exist anymore because our great, 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 great ancestors would have died because they wouldn't have been taught how to sleep. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yes, that's such a good thing to draw on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, it can be hard, especially when the sleep training industry pushes like the skill of sleep, the gift of sleep. And I, and that comes back to like kind of shifting that mindset of, yes, I can create an environment that is conducive to sleep, but my child already knows how to sleep. This isn't something that I need to force on them. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, great. And so, yeah, let's um, dive into some of the listener questions now. I'd love to hear your thoughts on these. So some great questions. So thank you everyone for sending those in. Um, okay. Let's start with, so someone asked um, what to do because they feel like they don't want to sleep train their baby, but they feel like it's their only option left and they're really struggling at the moment what kind of advice would you give them I wish I could know like what's going on like more detail obviously but what I will say is sleep training is never the only option and there's a few things that we could get into with okay it's biologically normal for babies to wake about every two to three hours if baby is waking every two to three hours at night and that's normal how can we get to a place where this feels more sustainable for us because they will naturally start sleeping those longer stretches. And that might be looking at a sleep setup. Like for example, if baby's in a room way across the house or down the hall, right there, you're wasting valuable sleep time, getting up, walking, holding them or supporting them back to sleep, then having to transfer them, then you're walking back to your bed. And then you're probably not falling asleep right away because now you've been up and you've been moving. So sometimes it's as simple as choosing a sleep setup that's more sustainable for your family. Could be room sharing. So simply having baby's crib in the room could be co-sleeping, which could be in the form of using a co-sleeper or actual bed sharing. So we each get to decide what feels most sustainable for us, what's going to maximize sleep for our whole family. Um, If you have a partner, it could look like 
doing shifts at, during the night. I have some clients where um, parents do every other wake. If you are breastfeeding, that gets a little bit more challenging because if we want to keep up breast or milk supply, we really don't want to be like sleeping during feeds because ultimately you'd need to pump anyways. But thinking about how can we maximize our own sleep. Um, the other thing is, is practicing good sleep hygiene for ourselves. Sometimes that looks like, I know it it's really sucks when we finally get baby to bed and we have like a minute to breathe and we want to spend that time doing something for ourselves. <laughs> but mm-hmm. in those sleep deprived days, the best thing you can do is go to bed when your baby goes to bed. That way you're getting the most sleep that you can. And then find those moments of time for yourself at a different part of the day. If you have a partner who's working during the day, maybe that would look like when they come home, you take one to two hours to yourself to do something. And then that way you're still getting that time to yourself. Um, In terms of like looking at your baby's sleep, if your baby's waking hourly or you're at a place where something else doesn't feel sustainable, bedtime might be taking too long, something like that. There, we should know that hourly waking isn't the norm. And if there's hourly waking going on, usually there's something deeper going on that sleep training is not going to fix. Sleep training would essentially be a Band-Aid that we're kind of sticking on a gaping <laughs> wound, right? Like we would need to get to the bottom of what's going on. Um, but then I'll also say that's like where what I do, I come into play. If you're at a place where you feel like this isn't sustainable. I need to make a change. Sleep training doesn't feel right to me, but I'm feeling like it's my only option. That is where I I work with families to help you get more sleep while still responding to baby's needs. That was a long answer, I know, but I get very passionate about this. Oh, no, it's great. No, no, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, no, great. And yeah, I think that that's completely feel for that person and hope that they're that they're doing okay I know how challenging it is when your baby's waking I'm not sure how often their baby's waking but we've been through periods where Hazel was waking every hour or less sometimes for periods and you know generally it didn't last too too long or you know I could put it down to something like teething or illness or a developmental leap or something like that but it's so challenging when you're in it. You just feel like a shell totally. of a human <laughs> trying to go around with that And I'm glad sleep. that you brought yeah. that up because that is such an important message that we can share now as quote unquote seasoned mothers, right? Like we're past the first year <laughs> yeah. um, is mm-hmm. everything is a season. And so when we can remember that, like mm-hmm. on your hardest day, okay, this is a season because when we get in the depths of that mm-hmm. sleep deprivation, we can feel like I'm stuck here forever the doom and gloom starts coming in and I want to validate like those feelings, but also let you know, this isn't forever, I promise. But also I don't want moms suffering through sleepless nights if they do feel like, okay, something needs to change. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yes. Yeah. As you say, seasoned mothers and uh, for anyone who's out there, our daughter, it took a while, but she has slept through this night pretty consistently from 18 months and we never did any kind of sleep training or anything like that and it it just kind of happened and you'll get there one day (laughs) whenever that is for your little bub 
I love that you shared that. My daughter was two and a half when she slept through the night. And she, like I said at the beginning of this, she's spirited and highly sensitive. And I know that spirited and highly sensitive children have a harder time with sleep. But then they ultimately get like, I never sleep trained, obviously. And here I am with an almost four-year-old who sleeps through the night every night. She loves sleep. You are proof Mm -hmm. that it'll happen before that for some families. I work with some families whose babies are sleeping through the night at 10 months or 12 months, right? Like it's, it's so unique to each child that if we can just trust in our child's unique journey, we will get there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And try not to compare yourself too much to those babies who are sleeping through the night earlier. Cause that that doesn't mean that you've failed or it's something that you've done or you've created, you know, quote unquote, bad habits or anything like that for your baby. It's yeah, it's just a complicated, complicated thing. <laughs> it's, I, I liken it to my clients to like a puzzle, right? So every yeah. child has a unique sleep puzzle and the piece, all the pieces are usually the same, but like where those pieces fit is going to be different to each child. So um, sleep needs is a big one. Um, temperament and personality, like I said, sensory needs, birth history, uh, so many home environment. There's so many different, uh, how they're fed formula versus breastfed. All of these things do impact sleep. And it doesn't mean that like we're doing it wrong. It just means that each child has this unique sleep puzzle. And some of those puzzles come together easier and earlier than others, but they ultimately all will come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We've all got this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. And someone else asks, so I know that she's been struggling a little bit with her baby's sleep at the moment. I think he's about seven months old now, but she's asking about what she can do with early wakes. So her baby is currently sleeping from 9 p.m. to 5.30 a.m. Okay. And you said baby is seven months old? Seven months old. Yeah. Okay. And she was going through a period of him waking quite regularly recently i'm not sure if um if she means here that he's started sleeping from 9 to 5:30 um or yeah yeah that would be great <laughs> um, um but yes yeah. so early rising can be tricky there's a lot of different things at play when we're looking at early rising but the first thing i will say that's like an easy fix so to speak is looking at lighting now i know that you, i don't know if this person is also in australia so like you yes, said that they are. yeah at 7 a.m mm-hmm. it's still dark there so to me it's probably not a lighting thing at this time of year for you but could it be a street light that comes on or could it be a neighbor leaving their house at that time and like headlights are coming in. There's lots of different things that we can think about with lighting. Um, The other thing I will say in terms of lighting is if they're waking up at 5 a.m., it's ideal to keep them in a dark environment until an quote unquote okay time to wake up. So let's say 6 a.m. Um, it doesn't mean like, I don't want you like not interacting with them for that hour or making them stay in their crib or anything like that. It just means that if you're going to get up and move around the house, it's best to avoid as much artificial light as you can. So that might mean turning on like a very dim light. Um, if you're comfortable sitting in your room or their room, wherever they sleep and maybe just sitting in a rocking chair and quietly talking with them or playing with them, just keeping that light nice and dim. Um, that is usually at seven months. I would say that is a big, um, factor. 
We could also look at like, are they possibly getting too much daytime sleep, which is then leading to that early rising just because they don't have enough sleep pressure carrying them over to those later mornings. Another thing I'd want to know is how long has this been going on? Because if it's something that's relatively new, I would be on the lookout for a new skill that could be emerging or some teeth popping through. Because if it's something that's just emerged in like the last two to three weeks, I would kind of take a wait and see approach and give them about two more weeks as if it's developmental. Things usually last about four to six weeks. Um, teething is usually, there's lots of different schools of thought on teething, but I would say with teeth that aren't molars, usually there's about a two week window where sleep could be disrupted. So just keeping an eye on, is it possibly just teething or something developmental? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm keen to know as well with what your thought is on, like you often hear that early rising can be attributed to being overtired or their bedtime kind of being too late and them not having that solid kind of time to sleep overnight. What's your thoughts on those kind of things? It is possible. I'm always weary of overtired just because I do think that the sleep training industry has kind of, for lack of a better term, weaponized overtired to make families really mm. afraid of having an overtired baby and then feel like, oh my gosh, I have to sleep train because if not, I'm going to have an overtired baby. Some babies mm -hmm. are absolutely affected by overtired. And then other babies could go like a six month old could for some reason go like a six hour wake window and be and not be affected. Right. Like it's really unique to each child. And I do notice with early rising, it sometimes can be overtired. And in that case, what I would play around with is shortening the wake window before bed. Um, so, for example, if they're currently doing let's say three hours before bedtime, maybe you shorten that wake window to two hours and excuse me, 45 minutes to see if that shorter wake window helps with the early morning rising. But, and I'm glad you asked that. And I don't always jump to the overtired for that reason, because I think it's overused and I don't want to scare parents into thinking it's something that it's not. But if you've looked into lighting, if you've looked into um, develop like what's going on developmentally, then we can have you start playing around with, is it overtired or is it undertired? And that's where it really just kind of takes some experimentation. And I find that, and I was the same way, I was so afraid to make changes because I was like, oh my gosh, well, what if it gets worse? But I will tell you, like, if you can think of it from the perspective of like, well, how much worse can it get? then we can kind of like, then it feels a little easier to kind of just play scientist and play around with it. And I'll also say like, if you make a change for one day and it doesn't work, like don't write it off, try something for at least a week before you decide like, yes, this is working or no, it's not. Because circadian rhythm takes about seven to 10 days to kind of catch up to whatever changes we're making. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope that's helpful and praying for some sleep yes, for you guys yes. soon. Sleep ins. Because <laughs> those early rising, when you just look at the time and it's 5 or 5.30, it's like, oh my gosh, that is just, <laughs> that is too early. Yes. <laughs> so funny in parenthood how, you know, 
6 or 6 30 a.m feels like a sleep in sometimes <laughs> totally totally and then I will provide hope from the other side I had a daughter who was always like a 6 30 riser and now at almost four years old she that girl she's like a teenager she'll sleep in until like 8 30 so there is hope <laughs> from the I'm telling you and I'm promising you there's hope mm-hmm. from the other side yeah yeah it's just that season that totally. you're in yeah and someone else a question that's just come in is um when will sleep regressions end? So this one is actually, what am I trying to say? The official time when sleep progressions end is there's the 24 month sleep progression, which is the last sleep progression. But what I have noticed, and this is just anecdotally with families I've worked with, I've worked with close to 500 families. So that is a pretty big database. Like I'm not like, mm-hmm. but what I'll say is I find that after the two year mark, about every six months, there's either like a sleep disruption or just kind of a like existential crisis where baby's temperament and mood totally shift for a few weeks. Um, but officially they end at 24 months, but then expect that as, like I said, like about every six months, you'll probably notice new skills emerging, social, emotional skills evolving, and oftentimes sleep will take a hit just as they kind of work through that. But the beauty is, is as they start getting further from two, they have words to use where they can kind of tell you what's going on and they're easier to communicate with like from our side. And so it does get easier. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay, great. Cool. I didn't know that. So good little, (laughs) good little fact. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. And the final question that we've got here, which I love, um, but someone was asking how you can respond to people when they ask you if your baby is a good or bad sleeper. Gosh, I love that question because (laughs) I would say there is no such thing as a good or a bad sleeper. So if somebody asked, Mm -hmm. oh, are they a good sleeper? I might just respond with, well, they're sleeping like a baby. And because that's Mm -hmm. true, right? Like we used to hear the term like, oh, I slept like a baby. Well, people still say it. And it's like, if you really knew what a baby <laughs> slept like, you probably wouldn't say yeah, that. I know. Um, but yes. I, just being as honest as you can, like, yeah, they slept, they're sleeping like a baby or they're sleeping how they should. And just kind of moving away from qualifying them as good or bad sleepers um, and then also kind of going deeper on that, I, I know that like a lot of my community asks like, well, when sleep gets brought up and I'm honest, then sleep training is often pushed on me. And just kind of knowing like you get to share as much as you're comfortable with. So like if they're wanting to know details and you know an uncomfortable conversation is coming, you might just say something like, yeah, everything's going good for us. Like we're content with how things are. And just kind of keeping it broad in general, if you're not wanting to get into the nitty gritty of, oh, we're up every two to three hours or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it doesn't feel like someone, it doesn't feel, I guess, for lack of a better word, like safe to discuss it with. Like if it's an extended family member or something and the question is asked in a way that I remember I was asked a few times like, oh. Oh, so how's their sleep? Are they a good sleeper? You know, in it, with this kind of like leading question and I didn't really know how to respond the first few times that I got it. So I'd kind of get a bit flustered and 
you know, be like, oh, she, she doesn't sleep that well, you know, like not really knowing what to say because I was like, well, I am waking up a lot. Um, and, yeah, and then just kind of that would contribute to me just feeling a bit crappy about my parenting or whatever, which, yeah. So for anyone out there who, you know, has a new little baby or is about to have a baby, yeah, just just remember this, that you can you can just kind of brush that question off because it's absolutely not a useful question whatsoever. Yeah, unless that person will be coming to your house at night to help you with night wake ups. Like yeah. they really, it really is none of their business. And I, I know some people, I think, and this is funny because we're in different cultures, right? We're in different parts of the world. But I think mm. it's just culturally something that is at like, people don't even really think about why they're asking it. It's just something that's become normal to ask. Like, how is the baby Mm -hmm. sleeping? And I wish we could get to more of a perspective of like, are you finding time to rest? How are you adjusting, right? Because then it puts the attention on like, how, how are we as the mother doing? Because how our baby is sleeping is not really something that anybody can externally help us with. Um, And just to kind of wrap up like what you said is, If you're in the new stages, I just want to remind you, or if you have a 12 month old and you're struggling with sleep, how your baby sleeps is not a reflection of your worth as a mother. It's not a reflection of how quote unquote good you're doing. Um, And just remember that and kind of let those questions just kind of roll off. And like I said, if you don't want to get into the topic that day, oh yeah, they're sleeping great or they're sleeping just like a baby and then move on. Even if you were up hourly last night, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, it'll, it probably won't help you to kind of delve into it with a lot of people. Totally. Yeah. 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 I wish I'd, I wish I'd kind of known all these things as yeah, it's just, I feel like everybody really asks about the baby's sleep and so much about the baby. And like you were saying, it it's another of those like reframing things to how is the mother or how is the parent, you know, like it's, there's, there's a saying, I, I'm not sure who the quote's by, but I always use it, that it's like, hold the mother, not the baby. Totally. And everyone comes around to hold the baby or to ask about the baby. And it's like the mother or the parent has just gone through the biggest shifts in their life that they will ever go through. So let's shift the focus to them and how they're doing um, and hold the baby so they can shower. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and ask them like, can I do some laundry for you? Can I bring you a cooked meal? Like if I wish we could get back, I know our, like our society doesn't allow for it just with how we are now, like industrialization and everything, but I wish we could get back to the village where, like in true village form, mom's only job for baby's first 18 months of life was to just care for baby. And then everyone in the village did everything else for her, cooked, cleaned. Um, if she has had another one, they kind of helped integrate their the other child into like whatever they were doing. And I know, like I said, we can't like all go live like <laughs> in a village again, <laughs> but if we could find a way to kind of make our own villages that it's mm-hmm. so helpful. And I, I think talking back about like being asked that question, find people that you actually like 
conversations serve you. Like you can say, oh my gosh, last night was so rough. I was up hourly and they're just going to be there to listen, empathize, maybe even like be there in solidarity and say, oh my gosh, me too. And then have those conversations with those safe and trusted people that you know the conversation isn't going to drain you even more. It's actually going to kind of lift you up and give you that that energy back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a good point. Oh, beautiful. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today and for answering all of the beautiful listener questions. And yeah, it's been so great to talk to you. I've loved it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And just parting words to anybody who's listening is if you are going through a rough patch in sleep, I just want to remind you that you're doing an amazing job and also remind you that this isn't forever. I promise you will get through it. Yes, definitely. And where can people find you if they want to see more of your little useful tips and um, yeah, words to to parents. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at resting underscore in underscore motherhood, or you can find me at resting And I would love to connect with mm-hmm. you and just chat. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank Enjoy you. the rest of your, your day. It's your afternoon there. It's yeah. my morning. So I'm just starting my day. <laughs> yeah, you have a wonderful yeah. day in the future from maybe since you're a day ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes, I know. It's so funny, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to this beautiful bonus episode with Brittany. I hope that you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. Uh, So I'll be back in your ears in a few days from now for the first episode of our VBAC series in which I'm joined by Megan Heaton from the VBAC link. It's a great episode on deciding between a repeat C-section and a VBAC and unpacking a lot of VBAC statistics and yeah, it's beautiful and please share it with anyone that you know who's on their VBAC journey or is making that decision between a VBAC or a repeat C-section. I think it's going to be such an inspiring and excellent series. I'm so proud of it and I just want anyone who is on that journey as well to be able to hear it. I hope you have a beautiful few days and week and all of the things and I'll see you soon.